0: Good morning. It's really good to see you here. It's lovely just seeing uh, some people I haven't seen for months and it was very nice as uh, I came back from just doing some prep work out there uh, to hear the chat between us and to see one another, see you greeting one another. So it's great to be together this morning. Uh, Welcome to those of you who are here in the building and also to those of you who joined us online. Uh, we're really glad to have everyone participating in this service of the Lord's Supper this morning. And uh, some of the good news is, uh, this morning is, provided we, we sing from behind our masks, we can sing this morning. And uh, join our singers from the front. So I'm going to ask you to please be upstanding as we sing Alleluia, sing to Jesus.
1: Let's sing together.
0: So we praise His name. We pray that as we gather in His name, we'll honour you with all we do. Amen. Please be seated. Well, welcome again to those of you who are here in the building. It is really good to see you and lovely to hear you singing as well. I reckon it must be just about four months since a congregation has sung here uh, at St Matthew's and it's really good to be together for this moment. And again, to those of you who are online, uh, lovely to hear some of you chatting with us. Uh, Lydia, you're quick out of the, uh, out of the blocks there, uh, as well as the Morgans and the Stuarts and Denise and Steve. Uh, but welcome to those of you who are there online. Uh, today's uh, a day when there's lots of things to mark. Uh, during the week, there was a, a big birthday for one of our brothers. He asked his neighbor how old they thought he was and he said, John Jones said, uh, John Jones's neighbor said 97. And he said, I'm not that old. But I do remember celebrating his 90th a couple of years ago. So you might like to have a a bit of a guess as to where it is between 90 and 97 uh, that John sits. But we praise the Lord, uh, John, for his enabling of you to continue faithfully following him. And it may be a big day in the Manion household. Sally and Mark's daughter is expecting today. Uh, So they may be first time grandparents before the end of the day we pray for the safe arrival of um, penny's little one uh, the other thing to note this morning is that ross and robert edwards have set a new record they were early is that okay to say ross <laughs> <laughs> now it was by a minute today let's see how you go next week <laughs> uh, but welcome everyone for those of you who don't know me my name's andrew graham i'm one of the ministers here and today we're looking forward to a great service of hearing from god's word really exciting to hear the Apostle Paul in Acts 17 preaching before the great philosophers in Athens as the gospel of Jesus goes beyond Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And Nathan Campbell, our night church minister, will be teaching us from the scriptures. Uh, Larry McKittrick will also be doing the Bible reading for us and Deborah Benstead will be leading us in prayers. But right now we're going to together declare what it is that we believe about God's goodness and greatness expressed to us in the Lord Jesus as we recite an affirmation of faith from the book of Colossians. So please join me as we read this together. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him he is before all things and in him all things hold together he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy for god was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen and amen. Uh, it's time for some announcements. Just bringing you up to scratch and in a moment. Our senior minister, Bruce, uh, will be speaking to us about the, the campaign we have at the moment to raise funds for our mission partners. But firstly, just to say again, if you're new with us, either in person or online, we'd love to know that you've been here and you could use the digital connect card. Uh, which is on on your screen at home and on the screen behind me uh, here this morning. Uh, Just to know that you've been here and give us a chance to get back to you. We'd love to be able to welcome you beyond uh, your engagement with the service this morning. Uh, Of course, uh, if there's anything that comes up for you, if there's any way we can help you uh, through the week, uh, do be in contact with us at the office. You can now walk into the office, but also phone or email. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. And before Bruce comes forward, just a reminder of a few things that will help us as we settle back into our services to make them as safe as possible. Uh, A reminder, for example, that if you're feeling unwell in any way, or if you've been in close contact with someone who's infected with COVID, uh, please leave the building as soon as you are able, and we look forward to seeing you uh, at a later time. And also a reminder that we are required to wear masks properly Uh, And while we're singing, we need to be singing with our masks on. And uh, do keep a a safe uh, distance uh, from others in our interactions. And straight after the service, it would be very helpful if you're able to leave the building. Uh, That's the sort of thing that's required at indoor venues like this, just to keep it as safe for us all as possible. Bruce, thank you.
2: Good morning, everyone. Great to see you here and good morning, everyone who's online. Look, I'll just make one little small addition. Um, Singers can only sing if you're fully vaccinated. Um, So that's just from the government. Anyway, I will just leave that with you. Um, We are raising money as part of our Beyond series for our mission partners. Actually, I can take mine off, can't I? And um, we've got $120,000 to raise. We've got some incredible heroic partners who work both here in Australia and overseas. And we raised money for our tax-deductible ones earlier in the year in June, for those who are non-tax deductible, we're trying to raise those at the moment. And so if you're not familiar with them, let me put them up on the screen. Neville and Kathy Naden and Jack and Lil Haradine, are Indigenous partners. Neville and Kathy were here last weekend. Uh, the Marsden Park Church Plant, which is starting, uh, which started a number of years ago. And I think it's gonna be our last year, this year coming in terms of supporting them. They're up and running. They've got through COVID. You're gonna see a wonderful video next week about the progress of the place. Heal Africa, the medical mission in the DR Congo. Uh, some Christian doctors, uh, chaplains doing incredible work to bring both healing and hope and the Christian faith and the message over in one of the most poor parts of the world. Dave and Leonie Pater, who have been doing theological education in Cambodia, training future leaders for that country as well as doing translation work uh, to bring great materials theologically into the hands of the pastors. Andrew and Michelle Bloomer who are doing evangelism um, over in Vienna through their English schools and also David Sean, who works for SIM here, He's a return missionary and he is seeking to raise up as well as support missionaries in the field. They wanted to say thank you as well as David Fell uh, is on the video who's just finished up on Norfolk Island. And so we've got a video just to hear from some of them who just wanted to say a word of thanks to St Matthew. So let's have a look at the screen.
3: Greetings to our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We bring special greetings to you from here in Cambodia.
4: We want to thank you for your prayerful and financial care for us over the last 20 years of our ministry here in Phnom Penh.
3: And especially in these last few years, when we've been living here in the global pandemic, we've been able to serve with the confidence of knowing that we have you supporting and praying for us in many ways. And this has enabled us to be able to reach out to others around us with the good news of Jesus Christ, to be able to teach our students, uh, to be able to share with them through their pains and griefs and joys. And uh, we very much look forward to coming and seeing you soon. We hope to be back in Australia by Christmas. And so we'll probably be with you early next year. Thank you.
4: Bye-bye. Hi, St.
5: Matts. We're Andrew and Michelle Blumer, and we've been serving in Vienna, Austria for over 16 years. We work with the local church and we reach out to the community, mostly through English teaching. We're currently sitting in our English language centre, which
2: St Matt's helped to set up. The whole time that we've been here, and in fact, from before our departure from Australia, St Matthews has been helping us both financially and also in prayer. And for that, we want to say a very big thank you. The work that we do here is a partnership. What we do on the ground is enabled by our supporters, such as St Matthews, and without your help, we wouldn't be able to be doing what we're doing. So, a very big thank you, and we're looking forward to seeing you when we're back in Australia. But with the current pandemic, who knows when that will be. But until then, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
5: Hey St. Matt's Manly, David Crystal here, we're calling you from uh, Tasmania. Yeah, we've just started
6: our close to Hobart. We've just started our long service leave, and uh, we left Norfolk Island just a couple of days ago. We wanted to say thank you so much for your support of our ministry and the ministry on Norfolk Island. So much has been achieved in the last seven years with your help, with your prayers, uh, with your financial support in some cases, uh, your visits and practical support. Uh, we've had women's Bible study been a huge one, a ministry Um, to single women,
4: Barnacles, Barnacles, our youth
6: and kids ministry, a youth group seven years ago, no youth group, no kids in any church on Norfolk and and now a thriving youth and kids ministry. So thank you so much. And we wanted to encourage you to keep supporting Norfolk
5: Island, even though we're no longer there,
6: God still is. So thanks again for your love for us. And we love you guys too. Have a great commitment series and talk to you guys soon. And we hope to see you on the course so soon come
5: January.
7: Okay,
1: see you guys. Bye. Bye. My name is Picham Kalonda. I'm from Hill Africa in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I'm working for Hill Africa. And uh, I want to convey our sincere thanks to the congregation of St. Matthew Church for all their support, especially for the Mercy Fund project uh this is a great work that you are doing to support venerable uh, people admitted in our hill African hospital in goma we keep praying for god to reward for everything you are doing for us and for our venerable in our community may god bless you thank you
7: Greetings, St. Matt's. You'd be forgiven for wondering whether your efforts towards mission in 2021 could have achieved anything in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, how could anyone go anywhere? Well, praise God that your financial and prayerful support of me as a missionary with SIM has enabled more missionaries to go out on the field than come back from the field. If you look at this table, Uh, It is a graphic illustration of how more missionaries on the left-hand side of the table have gone out as members to the field this year than have come back from service. Well, I want to just say a huge thank you to everyone at St. Matt's for your prayerful support and your financial support to make it possible for me to work and serve as a sender with SIM and lead the team that's enabled these people to get the permission field in circumstances that you thought were not possible. Thanks, St. Mat's.
6: Hello to everybody at um, St. Mat's at Manly. We thought it's about time we showed our face and we and say so thank you for all the support and. Uh, and the prayers that you've given us over the last few years. And uh, we understand that you're doing a a fundraising at the moment to continue that support. We just want to say how grateful we are. And thank you for supporting the work of the Lord. God bless you all.
5: God bless you thank you.
2: We can't all go, but we can all work together to support those who have gone. And it's a great privilege, I think, that we can partner with fantastic people who are serving in all kinds of places. And I just want to encourage you, I organised my donation this week, and I would encourage you to think about how you can give over and above to the mission work here at St Matthews. And it's very simple. Um, Previous years, we've had some cards, but we're all electronic these days. And so if you just go to the website, uh, to the Give page, and that will pop up and there are details there on how to give. The main thing is make sure you tag your gift as missions and that will go absolutely towards our mission appeal and to supporting our wonderful missionaries for their next 12 months of service. That's it from me. Um, Thank you, Andrew.
5: Well, good morning. That's what two weeks on leave does. It means you're not ready for your spot. So please forgive me. (laughs) So it's my privilege to uh, lead us in a time of prayer today. My name's Deborah, for those of you that don't know me, and I'm on the staff here. So welcome to those who are back, and it's the first time I'm seeing you, and it's really been a very great blessing to be back for the first time. So we're going to have a time of prayer, and then we're going to sing together before we hear from the word. So let's pray. Dear God, who made the world and everything in it, Lord of heaven and earth, we thank you for your presence with us today. We thank you that though you are not served by human hands, you command us to pray. And not only do you give us life and breath, but the Holy Spirit to guide us in those prayers. Father, hear us now as we pray for the world. And particularly today, we pray for those who have suffered and are suffering where there is war, and for those who wait anxiously for the return of their families and loved ones. We pray for those who are mourning and for the communities that are war-torn and broken. We pray for those who are in the midst of it all and who show compassion, even for their enemies, and who bravely risk their lives for their friends. We also pray for those who in the aftermath of war and conflict work tirelessly to bring peace. O oh Lord, grant us peace in our time and a longing for the day when people of every language, tribe, and nation will be brought into the unity of Christ's kingdom. We thank you for the privilege of partnering in the gospel with our mission partners, Ankaari Scripture, Heal Africa the Philippines Missionary Fellowship, the Salvation Army in Manly, Marsden Park Church Plant, Neville and Kathy Naden, Jack and Lil Haradine, David and Crystal Fell, Andrew and Michelle Bloomer, David and Leonie Painter, and David Fauchon. Keep us faithful in our prayers, encouragement, and especially during this Beyond series in our financial support. Bless them as they faithfully share the message of Jesus with people beyond the immediate reach of St Matthews. And we pray for our community here, particularly in our workplaces. Father, you place us in diverse families, workplaces and communities. We ask that we be a blessing in our places of work, wherever they are. We ask that you would remind us constantly to seek for the welfare of our workplaces and that you enable us to walk in integrity and harmony with colleagues to the benefit of all around us. May people know that we love you and may we always give an account of the hope that we have in you. And Lord, we ask for comfort and healing for those who may be about to undergo surgery, who are suffering through illness or injury, who are mentally afflicted and for those in the last stages of their earthly lives as they prepare to meet you. Be with them, lift them above the storm as they put their hope in you. And we particularly bring before you now those that are in our own hearts and minds. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love for us and for your mercy. Fill us with thanks and praise for who you are and what you have done for us in Jesus. We thank you that you're not far from any of us and that we are your offspring. And that is the confidence we have now as we seek you in our prayers and intercessions. We leave them with you and ask that you would answer in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to stand and sing now as we prepare to hear from his almighty word. And this hymn actually starts your almighty word. So it's a great way to prepare our hearts.
6: Good morning. Today's reading is from Acts chapter 16, verses sorry chapter 17, verses 16 to 34, which is on page 1111 on the church Bibles, which apparently we're able to use today. So, um, yeah, just to add uh, a little context to the opening verse, uh, Paul has been uh, preaching in Thessalonica and Berea, uh, travelling with Timothy and Silas. Uh, Certain Jews had been agitating the crowds, listening to Paul. Uh, So he's gone to Athens ahead of uh, Timothy and Silas. So now reading from verse 16. Uh, When Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to to a meeting at the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you were very religious for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God, So you were ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not a servant by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. The word of the Lord.
3: Morning everyone, if I haven't met you my name is Nathan and it's been a while since I've gotten the chance to preach at 8am so I'm excited about being here and how good is it that we're now back in person, gotta love it and singing too, excellent, let's pray as we get started, Heavenly Father we thank you for your word and this next part of the book of Acts and we pray Lord that this morning you might be at work in it and through it so that we might hear and heed what it is you have to feed us with this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I uh, heard a story recently about a mission trip. Kind of like a beach mission type of thing, if you're familiar with what those kind of involve. And uh, this mission team decided that they wanted to share the gospel with the community, and they picked a place in a shopping center to preach the gospel. So think like... You know, the food court, the stage at the food court at Ringham Mall, right? That kind of, it's kind of in the middle of things. There's people kind of coming and going and pushing their trolleys and having a meal and that sort of thing. So this is where we're going to preach. And I chose the young, enthusiastic member of the team called Tim. And they said, mate, you need to get up there you need to preach 10 minute sermon. It's going to be great. Tim's like, okay, but you know, is anyone going to listen to me? in the middle of this kind of busy shopping center. Is anyone going to listen to me? And they said, you know what? We're going to get the worship band. We're going to put them up on the stage. They can play some songs. The team, we can sing. People will be walking past, and they'll stop. Right? They'll be curious. they want to find out what's going on, so they'll stop. We'll get a crowd, and then out you can come, Tim, and you can preach the gospel to them. Tim's like, okay. So out comes the band. They set up. They sing. The team joins in. No one stops, right? Everyone just keeps pushing their groceries past, head down, don't make eye contact. You know, there's still, people just go on eating their Big Macs. And the team's are like a little bit puzzled. You know, what's going on? Wh- what can we do? And, and they're at a bit of a loss until upsteps Tony, who's like one of the, v- the veterans on the team, and Tony kind of takes things in his own hands. He jumps off the stage and he comes over and grabs to a rubbish bin grabs the bag of rubbish out of the bin and walks down into the into the very center of the shopping center everyone's like what's tony doing right ties a knot in the bag and then he just starts throwing it up in the air as high as he can and catching it and throwing it as high as he can sorry online that would have been loud and the team's like, has he lost his mind, right? Is this the Holy Spirit? Like, what's going on with Tony? And the team's standing there looking at him just throw this bag in the air, up and down. And pretty soon, it's not just the team that are looking at Tony, but people walking past are actually stopping and looking at this strange sight. But what is this man doing? People in the middle of their Big Macs are kind of just frozen watching Tony toss this rubbish. And then all of a sudden, he throws it up and he looks at the team and he says, now, Tim, now! And and out comes Tim to this crowd of people and he starts preaching and the crowd evaporates just as soon as it had appeared. Nice try, Tony. I wonder... Have you ever felt like that when it comes to trying to share the gospel? Now, not not on a street corner or in the middle of a shopping centre, but just with the people that you know. Are they actually going to listen? And if they do, what are they going to make of it? Will they even care? I wonder if you've ever felt like that or asked those kinds of questions. Now, I like that story because of the way it really speaks to the difficulty we face today trying to speak the truth of the gospel to people who don't want to hear it. You know, these days everyone's encouraged to embrace their own truth, aren't they? People don't want to be told what to believe, they want to discover, they want to discover on their own, don't they? Where does the gospel fit into that? Today we live in an age where personal experience is worth more than hard evidence, An age where our feelings get to determine the facts. How do we speak the gospel into that space? And when we do, are people even going to listen? Well, that tension is actually not new. In fact, the Apostle Paul faces a very similar challenge in our passage today in Acts chapter 17. This section of Acts that we've been walking through uh, It really tracks the movement of the gospel as it goes out to the ends of the earth. And the the Apostle Paul, of course, is one of the linchpins in this mission. As we come to him today, he's partway through the second of three missionary trips. This one is quite a bit longer than his first trip. And last week, if you were with us, you might remember he got imprisoned in the city of Philippi. And, And yet we saw, despite that there were some pretty remarkable conversion stories to come out of his time in that city. As you can see up on the map, uh, from Philippi at the top, Paul and his crew kind of make their way down to the cities of Thessalonica and then to Berea, and things are (laughs) are fairly hostile for them in both of those places. And in the end, Paul actually is, is forced to escape to Athens on his own. And he ends up hanging around there for some time, waiting for Silas and Timothy to arrive. Now, out of all the strange and foreign places that Paul has visited so far, chances are Athens is probably the one that we're most familiar with. It's a city of tremendous antiquity, isn't it? It's it's referred to as the cradle of democracy. It's a place that's renowned for its contributions to classical art and literature, to drama and philosophy. It was really an unrivaled hotbed of culture in the ancient world. Just to give you a sense of that, here is a famous fresco painted in the early 1500s by the Renaissance artist Raphael. If you ever had the chance to go to the Vatican, you might have actually seen this because that's where it resides. Uh, And it's called the School of Athens. It's a bit of a who's who of... Classical philosophy. Guys like Pythagoras, Archimedes, and Socrates are there. And at the very center of, the, t- of, the, of the, the picture, you can see there the two heavyweights of them all, Plato and Aristotle. It's a pretty formidable collection. Now, they weren't all natives of Athens. Only about a third of them were, but it, it speaks to the reputation of the place. Right? The kind of philosophical shadow that must have loomed large over the city. This is the space that Paul steps into right, as he arrives on the shores of Athens. As usual, he begins by preaching first to the Jews in the local synagogue. Eventually, he then moves his message out into the Agora, the marketplace. That was going to be the best chance for him to actually reach the people of Athens. Now he doesn't sing worship songs or throw around bags of garbage. We're told he just spoke about Jesus and resurrection. We don't know how long he was at it for, but eventually some philosophers here and they're confused. They're confused. Verse 18. Tell us that they think he's advocating for foreign gods foreign gods, right? They hear him talking about a god called Jesus, and another god called Anastasis, which is the Greek word for resurrection. They'd never heard of these two gods before, so they invite Paul to explain himself before the Athenian council at a place called the Areopagus. Here's what it looks like today. It was a rocky hilltop sitting high above the noise and bustle of the city and it was a place where ideas were presented and debated and weighed up here in Athens the cultural capital of the classical world before the smartest most influential people of the city Paul's never had a better evangelistic opportunity than right now what a moment it's incredible now I don't know how Paul would have been feeling, I don't know how you would have been feeling if you were in his position, but I can't imagine this fazed him all too much because what he goes on to stand and deliver is brilliant, so brilliant, in fact you can see it there in the second picture, there's a plaque on the spot where his entire speech word for word is engraved in Greek, isn't that amazing? So what does he go on to say? Well, basically, Paul does a takedown of pagan idolatry. But the beauty of it is that it doesn't really feel like a takedown. You see, they had invited him to speak, and instead he invites them to meet the one true God. The one, he says, that they've actually been looking for all along. It's brilliant. And there are so many striking things you could pull out of his speech, and we only have time for a few. Firstly, I think it's really interesting how gently Paul speaks. And for those who are paying attention, Paul's tone actually should be a bit of a surprise, because when he first arrives in Athens, there in in verse 16, you can see he takes a look around And Luke says he was greatly distressed at what he sees. The city was full of idols. Now, this was Athens, after all, right? It it would have been bursting at the seams with religious cults from all across the known world. One commentator I heard describe it as a city submerged in idols. Luke tells us that upon seeing this, Paul is greatly disturbed. The word is kind of like angry or even incensed by what he sees. And yet, isn't it interesting? When he gets up to address the Areopagus, there's no hint of hostility, is there? There's no derision in his voice. He's measured and he's thoughtful and he's generous, and is wise in the way that he speaks. He doesn't let his anger dictate his approach. I think that's really interesting. Secondly, Paul speaks their language. Now, this is not a Jewish audience that he is speaking to, and, and you can see that reflected in the language that he chooses to use. It, he sounds very different here, to those times when he is addressing strictly Jewish audiences. And you can actually see how different it is by just comparing it to, we've got a, a, a synagogue speech of Paul's back in chapter 13 when he is in Pisidian Antioch. And you can see there, right? He's, he, he recalls uh, Israel's history. He quotes from Isaiah and Habakkuk and the Psalms. He talks of Messiah. But here in Athens, there's none of that. In fact, the only direct quotes that he drops in are from Greek philosophers. Philosophers like Epimenides and Aratus. You've heard of those guys, right? (laughs) Me neither. (laughs) But everyone listening to Paul that day would have. They would have known who he was talking about. You know, even though Paul doesn't quote the Scriptures, everything, everything about what he's saying has the scriptures as its backbone. It's the exact same message, but it's sounding a little bit different because he's coming at it from a different angle. And it's a helpful reminder for us, I think, that, that though there's only one gospel, when sharing it with different audiences, it's not always one size fits all. That's really interesting. So Paul speaks gently He speaks their language, and thirdly, he speaks to build bridges. You know, Paul could have come out guns blazing against all the detestable idols that he had seen in the city. He could have done that. But instead, he actually chooses to use their idolatry as a bridge. He talks of the altar to the unknown God and says... You know what? There actually is a God who is worthy of your worship that you don't know. Let me tell you about him. Let me introduce you to him. He's not just one God amongst many, but is in fact the creator of all things. A God who can't be contained or restrained in a temple or in an idol. And he's a God that doesn't need us to offer him anything, because he is the one who actually gives To us, everything. Temples, idols, sacrifices. It's like the pagan trifecta. And Paul is undermining all of it as he works through this speech, but it's in an indirect kind of way. You guys are clearly searching for something, he's saying. And I can tell that you actually haven't found it yet. But let me tell you about the one who you've actually been searching for. He engages them with the gospel by looking at their world and revealing to them how the one true God actually makes sense of it all. And he does that all without tossing a single bag of rubbish. And you know, we can too. Because what was true for the city of Athens back then actually remains true for every city in our world today. It does, whether they realize it or not, the gospel of Jesus actually is the answer that our world is looking for. It's the only answer that actually truly makes sense of this place and of us. You do believe that, don't you? You believe that. There's sometimes though, we, we we get worried, don't we? And we wonder just how an ancient book can still be relevant for everyone today, you know, and we, and we sense the hostility that's out there often and we can start to believe maybe this isn't a message for everyone. I just think maybe we need to come at things from, from some different angles sometimes. You know, like Paul, we need to work at speaking to build bridges. So, you know, instead of chucking bags of rubbish... Yeah, maybe we could talk about pleasure. I mean, Manly is a prime place to talk about pleasure, right? This is one of the most pleasure-seeking suburbs and one of the most pleasure-seeking countries in the world, is it not? Like, Manly enjoys itself so much, they had to go and fence off the grass down at the office, didn't they? The sun, the sand, the surf, the shopping, the sipping. This is the place for people with expendable cash and expendable time. What an opportunity that is! What an opportunity that is to, to introduce them to the God of pleasure. Paul does this actually when he's preaching to a crowd of Gentiles in the city of Lystra. We looked at it a few weeks ago. He says this to them God has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Fills your hearts with joy. That's pretty crazy, right? God is the one who is responsible for our world's enjoyment. (laughs) Our culture accuses him of being a killjoy when in actual fact he's the only reason we have joy. And he actually takes pleasure in our pleasure, doesn't he? When he walked the earth, he turned water into wine. And he spoke of the coming kingdom as if it was a a vast wedding banquet. And when he fed thousands and thousands of people, he did so with so much food that they didn't even know what to do with the leftovers. Friends, our culture is searching for satisfaction. That's what it is. They want to be filled until they're full with the best things in life. And that is a search that can only reach its true end in coming to know the author of pleasure, the one who fills hearts with joy. So you could try that angle. Or what else could we do? We could have a look at justice, couldn't we? Justice is an interesting one. I mean, just consider for a moment... The movements that we've had sweep across the world over just the last little while are Black Lives Matter, Me Too, climate change. And you know, behind all of them lies a deep desire for justice, a calling to account of those who've used their power to oppress and exploit. And I mean, deep down, we're all looking for justice, aren't we? And those who abuse power can't be allowed to get away with it, whether they're governments or corporations or individuals. And yet, friends, the search for lasting justice is a search that will never end. Not really, because there'll always be new causes to join and new injustices to oppose. But not when it comes to the God of justice, the one who knows all who sees all, and as Paul explains to the Athenians, who has fixed a day when all things will be brought into account. That will be a day of flawless, lasting justice, where no foul deed will be missed, no vile act of abuse just swept under the rug. The gospel reveals God's commitment to making things right, once and for all. Well, then there's the topic of suffering. These days, suffering is considered the highest form of evil. Don't know if you've noticed that. But, you know, the state parliament has again begun debating the assisted dying bill this week, and those who support it believe that suffering is worse than even death itself. Suffering is a live issue right now. And it's, it's often held up as the strongest argument against God's existence. I'm sure you're aware of that, right? How can, how can God be both loving and powerful when suffering exists? But friends, you know, the problem of suffering is, is no problem at all for our gospel, It's actually an amazing opportunity. Because for a world that seeks to avoid suffering at all costs, what will they make of a God who willingly walks the other way? Who chooses to climb onto the cross, not down from it. Like, I mean, how profound and confounding is that? What kind of God willingly chooses to suffer, and why? came across a quote this week by a former atheist, now turned Christian apologist, named Francis Spufford. In his book, Unapologetic, he says this. Some people ask nowadays, what kind of a religion is it that chooses an instrument of torture for its symbol? as if the cross on churches must represent some kind of endorsement. Well, the answer is one that takes the existence of suffering seriously. Friends, our world takes the existence of suffering seriously and the gospel offers to introduce them to the God who does too. Pleasure, justice, suffering. Now, these are all just examples, right? Different ways of showing how the gospel actually answers the world's deepest questions, but perhaps the most profound of them all is this one, the future. See, the truth is, I'm sure that is going to fall over in the wind. The truth is that when it comes to the future, we're a fairly pessimistic punch, oftentimes, oftentimes. And you just think about it, how how often are our fears and our worries fueled by the uncertainties of tomorrow? How often is that the case? Whether that's on a scale as grand as something like global warming, or the pressure to own property in our ridiculous housing market, or the kind of pandemic panic buying that sees the shelves run empty. You know, people worry about tomorrow, don't they? Everyone is desperate for that kind of assurance that tomorrow's going to be okay, that I'm going to be okay. We all want fi- futures that are fixed, that are sorted, that are settled. But a secure future is an elusive thing, which is why we worry. <laughs> And it's always going to be an elusive thing in a world where death is the guaranteed end, in a world where moth and rust destroy. But the God of the gospel is the God of yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. What is uncertain to us is actually certain to him. And the gospel offers to fix our future to the immovable reality of the resurrection. There is no safer, more secure ground upon which to stand than the promise that death is not the end. That's the kind of hope that our world desperately needs. The certain hope that you can only find in the gospel. And it's actually on this point of the resurrection that Paul ends his address Now remember, the philosophers had mistakenly thought that he was that, that, that Jesus and resurrection were two separate gods. So Paul's speech has kind of really cleared that up for them: one true God, not many gods. And so here at the end, it finally dawns on them: this guy's actually talking about a literal bodily resurrection, and that's an idea that simply cannot be accepted. By the audience. Because you see, according to most ancient Greek philosophies, the concept of an afterlife, especially a bodily afterlife, was completely unthinkable. And you see the reaction, right? It's fair to say that, that, that Paul's speech, is, it lacks luster in the way it's received, right? So you've got some who are sneering at just how ridiculous the idea of resurrection is. You've got others who are, they're still open and interested to hear more, and then you've got a small number, just a handful, it seems, who become followers. As great as that is, it's, it's a far cry from some of the other things we've seen in terms of reaction so far. The great number who came to faith in Antioch is different to that. Also to the many who followed Paul and Barnabas in Pisidian Antioch. Or the large number that they won in the city of Derby. It's certainly a far cry from the thousands who came to faith on the day of Pentecost. The question is, what gives, you know? Paul's done this brilliant speech. What's happened? What are we to make of it? I take great comfort in it, actually. Because <laughs> Paul knocks it out of the park here. Completely knocks it out of the park. It's an amazing speech. And yet, so many people just keep pushing their trolleys past him in the shopping center pay it no mind. And the truth is, there, there, there are no magic words that Paul can say. There's no secret formula he can follow that's going to bring someone from death to life because that is not Paul's job. Resurrection is a God job, isn't it? Paul knows that, which is, which is why I think he doesn't take re- rejection personally. It's why when in Lystra they're throwing stones at him, He doesn't throw in the towel, he just moves on to the next city. It's why at the end of his first missionary trip, they get back to Antioch and we're told on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. You see, God has to put the work To work. And that's what he's been doing through Paul, right? Using his words, using his witness to open eyes, to unstop ears, to penetrate hearts. And in order for anything to really happen, God has to put Paul's work to work. Sometimes he did, and it was spectacular. Other times, not so much, like here in Athens. And that's okay too. And friends, it's actually no different for us today. And if our world is ever going to listen to us, if your friends and family are ever going to listen to you, it will be because God has put your work to work. Which is why prayer is actually the most important part of sharing the gospel. We're quick to forget though, I reckon. Sometimes. We think it's all up to us, don't we? We put all that weight on our shoulders. You know, it's all up to this next conversation. I've got to say the right thing in the right way at the right time or that'll be it, right? I'll have ruined everything. (laughs) I feel that pressure too. Maybe we actually just need to sit with the Athenians here in Acts 17 and listen to Paul again. Verse 25. Are we listening? He is not served by human hands, Paul says, as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. (laughs) Friends, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't need us. But in his wisdom and in his grace, he lets us play our part. And as we do, we shouldn't need to chuck a bag of rubbish in the air, because he's given us everything we need right here, because this gospel really is the answer to our world's deepest questions. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this amazing speech in the book of Acts and for just how it inspires us to think about what it means to share your gospel in a world that often doesn't want to hear it. We thank you, Lord, for your generosity to us in giving us this message and even more so in giving us your Son, Jesus Christ. Pray, Lord, that you would give us boldness and even more than boldness, that you would give us trust and dependence in the work you will be doing through our work, to your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing our final song. I'm told that this is actually a new song, which is very exciting. And it was actually chosen well before we realized that we were going to be able to sing together this morning. So I want to encourage you, if you're not familiar with it, that's okay. Feel free to listen and join in when you feel comfortable. Let's stand and
1: sing.
0: Be seated. I'm hoping you've each got one of these little communion packs. If you don't, please raise your hand and uh, one of our welcomers will uh, come forward and give you one. There's a need for at least one down here, one way back there. Terrific. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, and it's a good idea to open the top of the packs. Right now is a good time to do that. This is the COVID sound in church. <laughs> Opening communion packs. And mine is particularly obstinate. There we go. Alrighty. So, what are we doing with this little bit of um, this this bit of bread here and the cup of uh, wine? Well, we're we're joining in a a simple ceremonial meal, uh, which in a very concrete way takes us back to the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. That's what this is about. That that meal at which questions of um, uh, of pleasure, of suffering. <laughs> Uh, questions of the future, questions like that will actually be resolved because it's through the suffering of Jesus that answers to those sorts of questions come about and that's what Jesus used that last meal with his disciples to point uh, them forward to. Now this is the way the scriptures describe what happened on that night. Now Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he gave it to them saying, take and eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the meal, he took the cup and uh, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So in preparing ourselves to share together in this meal, in this ceremonial meal, it's right for us to acknowledge that we've fallen short of the way we're called to live in the world that God has made, the God who loves us, the God who will be our judge. It's right for us to confess our sins. So please join me in this prayer of confession. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have often gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. Friends, it's a wonderful thing to know. The God who made us, the holy God, is slow to anger and full of compassion. And that because of the death of Jesus for us, all who humbly repent and turn to Jesus are not condemned and we find forgiveness in him. So let's, uh, let's take the bread And as we do so, let's remember the body of Jesus that was given for us and feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And let's take the cup and drink remembering the blood of Christ that was shed for us and for our forgiveness and be thankful. And let's pray together now, thanking God and dedicating ourselves to his service. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup, Bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights, give light to the world. Keep us in this hope that we have grasped, so we and all your children shall be free and the whole earth live to praise your name. Amen. Well, friends, uh, that closes our service. So I'm going to ask you to stand uh, just with um, an encouragement to leave the building as soon as you're able. Find some others to have a coffee with in one of the local coffee shops. You could, of course, come and use the courtyard here, which is open, and there is some seating there and uh, some shade as well. But as we leave, let's commit one another to God's care for us. In the words of the grace, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.